The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Well, hey, every parent everywhere uh, wants their kids to, to turn out okay. All right, what do, we, what do we mean by okay? Well, at the very least, we want them to make good decisions um, in, in their life. We want them to make wise decisions. And you don't even have to be a parent to want that. All right, uh, one of my high school teachers was Mrs. O., and she didn't have any children of her own. In fact, at the time I knew her, I think she had had, I think, nine miscarriages. That's a lot of suffering, all right? And um, Mrs. O, every Friday, I had her for the last period of the day one year, and every Friday she would dismiss us for the weekend and say, make wise decisions, make wise decisions. She wanted us to turn out okay. Look, even if you don't have kids, even if you're not a teacher like Mrs. O, your parents want this for you, but also apply it to yourself. You want to turn out okay. Right? You want to make wise decisions. You want to be competent with regard to the complex realities of life. You want to navigate life with wisdom, and that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. All right? And Proverbs chapter 4 tells us, it tells us how. All right? How to turn out okay. This chapter divides nicely into three sections. I don't know if you saw this, but each of the three sections starts with the address, my son. You see it in verse 1. You see it again in verse 10. And then you see it again in verse 20. And in the first section, we're told of two generations, two generations. In the second section, we're told of two paths. And then in the final section, we're told of two hearts. First, the two generations. In this first section of Proverbs 4, we we get something that's actually unique in in Proverbs so far. So far in Proverbs 1 through 3, we've heard from Solomon. All right, if you go all the way back to to Proverbs 1, verse 1, it says the the Proverbs of Solomon is how we're introduced to it. It's all been in the voice of Solomon so far, speaking to his son. But all of a sudden in verse 3, Solomon introduces us to his dad. And he says, my dad always used to say. You see it there? Look look at verse 3. He says, uh, when I was a son with my father, tender, the only one on the side of my mother, He taught me, and he said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. And then the rest of this section, all the way down through verse 9, is Solomon's dad's teaching. It's his dad's teaching. In other words, what we have here are two generations of wisdom. Solomon is saying, from the time I was young, tender and young, my father taught me this, and now I'm teaching you. So hear, O sons, of father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching, just like grandpa used to say, right? It's a generational wisdom, see? Now, now look, we know who Solomon's father was, don't we? We, 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 Solomon's father was David, King David, or, or here, Grandpa David. The same David who wrote so many of the Psalms, the the man after God's own heart. And so David taught and instilled wisdom to his son Solomon, and in a sense, what Proverbs is all about is Solomon passing it on to another generation. And he passes it along with some grit, doesn't he? Get wisdom, verse 5 says. Get it. Get insight. Don't forget it. Don't forsake her. She will keep you. Love her. She will guard you. Verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And then the next line, whatever you get, get insight. Like, do, do you get a sense of it being hammered home? Get wisdom. Get wisdom. Get wisdom. This was David's mantra to his young son Solomon. 
Get wisdom. In fact, it was a mantra that must have lasted his whole life long. In, in 1 Kings chapter 2, um, when, when David is nearing the, the end of his life, look at this, it'll, it'll be up on the screen. This is what he says, this is what David says to Solomon at the end of his life. He says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth and be strong. Show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall, not lock a man, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Two paragraphs later, right? It, it, um, David dies. And, and Solomon assumes the throne. So the last line of 1 Kings chapter 2 reads, So the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. And then in the very next chapter, do you know what we read of? In 1 Kings chapter 3, we read, of David, we read of God appearing to Solomon at Gibeon and saying, ask me for anything you want. And what does Solomon hear in the back of his head? That the hammering mantra of his father, get wisdom, get wisdom, get wisdom. Whatever you get, get this. And Solomon asks for wisdom. And God gives it to him. God makes him the, the wisest man to ever live. And now Solomon is repeating that mantra and flushing it all out here in the book of Proverbs. He wants his sons to turn out okay. He wants them to be wise. He, he wants them to pay close attention to their way, to walk before God with, with faithfulness in all their heart and all their soul. Now there's layers of application here for us, all right? Three of them, at least probably, right? But first, grandparents in the room. Grandparents in the room. One thing that you can take away from Proverbs 4 is that you have much more spiritual influence in the lives of your kids and your grandkids than, than you probably even realize. And yes, it's true, God doesn't have grandkids. You, you know that saying that no, no child is born to, to Christian parents or, or, or grandparents and just automatically turns out to be a Christian. God doesn't have grandkids, but you do. You do. And you're to love them and to shape them. One of the primary ways you do that is by loving and shaping your kids, that they would shape and love the next generation of kids, you have more spiritual influence than you realize. Are you exercising it? Are you still seeking to impart wisdom, biblical wisdom to your grown kids and grandkids? You're not done yet. And God's not done with you. He wants to work through you into the lives of your grandkids, influencing them by pointing them to him, telling them stories of the faith, telling them your story of coming to faith, Shaping their story of coming to faith. Creating a multi-generational line of faith. Multiple generations walking with the Lord with faithfulness. With all their heart and all their soul. Give yourself to that, grandparents. Give yourself to that. Get involved. If you are involved, stay involved. Get invested. Stay invested. Get present physically, but spiritually. Spiritually, second layer of application, children in the room, or even grandchildren in the room, um, receive this. Receive it. Like your, your parents' and grandparents' wise influence in your life, receive it. Desire it. Seek it out. 
Ask questions to your parents and your, and your grandparents. I guarantee you, there is no such thing as a stupid question between you and them. <laughs> there's, there's not. You got questions about God? Ask your parents. Ask your grandparents. You got, you got a difficult part of the Bible that you don't understand? Ask your parents. Ask your grandparents. Questions about life and the world and how to make sense of it all? Ask them. God has put them in your life for a reason. They've got some wisdom. They've got years, in some cases, decades of walking with Jesus through really challenging times and really good times. Most of them have lived long enough and to walk with Jesus to fall on their face a few times. But they're still here. And they've learned some stuff. So listen, if you are a child in this room, um, let's just say, you know, 18 and under, something like that. We're all children at heart, but we've got to draw the line somewhere. 18 and under, it's like... Uh, you, you, you kind of had to come this morning. You know what I'm saying? Uh, if that's you, realize how blessed you are. Realize that. Someone loves you very, very much and brought you here today. You're not just dragged along. You're wanted here. You're loved. Everyone in this room wants you to turn out okay. Your, your parents first and foremost, but the, the rest of this family of God too. It, we're rooting for you. Even better, we're praying for you. We're, we're, we're praying. We, we, we love you and we want you to love the Lord and walk in his ways and grow in wisdom to make wise decisions in your life. And actually, you are so incredibly lucky to be here. Children, you are. Um, also, this is a really important also. Um, if or when you blow it someday, you know, you sin in some fabulous way or you make a bad decision or several years of bad decisions. We're still going to be here for you. We're still going to be here for you. We will show you the, the love of God and the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and the reconciliation of God and the restoration of God, even if you, quote, don't deserve it. Why? Because that's all that he's ever shown us. That's all that he's ever, that's the only reason that any of us are even here today is because we've received that from the Lord. And so if you blow it at some point in your life, just know we're here. And we want to show you all that too. Because God wants to extend it to you through us. Because you're so lucky to be here. You've got a fail-safe place of grace to grow. A lot of the adults in this room didn't have that. A lot of them didn't. Parents here today, third level of application. One of your goals, parents, is for your kids to grow up and sound like Solomon in Proverbs 4, verse 3. For, for them to say to their kids, let me tell you about what grandma and grandpa used to teach. <laughs> and for the wisdom that God has given you and will continue to give you as you walk with Jesus on this earth, for that wisdom to flow down to your kids and their kids and their kids. Wouldn't that be amazing? It'd be amazing. It happens, not all the time, but it can. It doesn't have to be an anomaly. I hope you're praying this sort of thing is normative in our church. You know, a, a lot of us in this room, whether you're a parent or not, um, a lot of us in this room, we are trying to break generational sin patterns. Do you know about generational sin patterns? You know, it's like your dad was angry all the time, verbally abusive, and you see the same tendencies in yourself. Um, and sometimes they break out and you're trying to break that. You're trying to not pass that on to your kids. Or, or your mom, maybe she was aloof, she was distant. She did the best that she could, but she was emotionally immature and self-focused. 
And, and sometimes you see that pattern in yourself. It shows up sometimes in your life. You're trying like hell to beat that, to break that, to not pass it on to your kids. You want them to turn out okay. Well, listen, God's at work in all of that. He is. I know it doesn't always seem like it, but you're here. You're here. You're growing in self-awareness of these tendencies that are in you. You're growing and confessing it to others around you in community. No one here is trying to pretend or save face, which means we can talk about this junk. We can talk about it. You're repenting when it manifests. The Spirit is working in you. The Spirit is. I know it's slow, but there's progress. God is at work in all of that. And also, God isn't just at work in you breaking the bad generational sin patterns. He's also at work in creating and continuing good cycles too. See, as parents, we can pass down patterns of sinfulness and foolishness and you know, abuse or passivity, but we also can pass down patterns of repentance and humility and grace and unconditional love and wisdom. Listen, the good news is that a chain of wickedness, a, a gener of generational sin, can be broken in one generation by the power of the gospel. And a chain of wisdom can be started in one generation too by the power of the gospel. <laughs> but you're going to need wisdom. So get wisdom, get wisdom, get wisdom. Well, <laughs> get wisdom, verse 5 says. Get insight. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her. She will guard you. And then verse 7, I love how the NIV translation puts verse 7. It says it this way, that the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And then the second line, though it costs you everything you have, get understanding. ESV says, whatever you get, get it. NIV says, whatever it costs, get it. And then verse 8, prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a, a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. So get it. How? How do you get it? How, how do you get there? How, how do you get wise? How do you become the kind of person that, that makes wise decisions and turns out all right? Well, by following the right path, that's how. That's what Proverbs 4 tells us. And this is the next section. It spans verses 10 all the way down through 19. And it presents us two paths, actually. First, the, the path of wisdom. That's verses 10 through 13. You can see it there in your copy. And then the path of evil, verses 14 through 17. And then Solomon contrasts the two paths in verses 17 and 18. But think for just a minute about the language of a path. It's all over this section. Look at this in your copy of the scripture beginning in verse 11. He writes, I have taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. If you run, you're not going to stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked. And do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Don't go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Now, the, that language of path and, and way, it's helpful language that reminds us that life is a journey. It's a journey. And every decision you make is taking you somewhere. 
We said it in in week one that that, uh, life is a matter of choices and every choice you make makes you. Remember that? That's the sense here. Our lives are shaped and formed in the daily, not just the the dramatic. It's, It's the little things, day by day, that stack up and form you into who you are. Which means gaining wisdom is hard work. It's daily work. We're not told of two roads. Did you notice that? You know that, that are, we're not told of two roads that are already paved, paid for conveniently by the taxpayers, you know, and just get on it and drive. No, it's, it's two paths. A path is different from a road. A path is created over time. How? By, by tromping over it again and again and again. That's how. One step at a time, one foot in front of the other, day after day after day. For example, if you establish a, a small rhythm of reading the scriptures and praying for like 10 minutes every day, five minutes every day, and you do that over and over for a year, and then year after year after year, you know, maybe eventually grows into 20 minutes, or 30 minutes, and it's going to look different in different stages of your life, different seasons of your life, but if you trumps down a path, it's a path that you walk. A path that you've shaped, and that path you walk shapes you. It shapes you. You see, it's, a, it's the small steps, the repeated daily activities. They're, they're not unimportant. They're taking you somewhere. It even works both ways. All right, so every, every time that you experience something good, all right, um, and you're able, either in that moment, or, or maybe later in the day as you pray yourself to sleep, um, you praise God for it. You're becoming someone. That you're becoming the kind of person that is marked by gratitude and thanksgiving and joy. But if every time that you experience something good, you take it for granted. Or, or you're the kind of person who says, well, that was all right, but you know what would have been really good? If you don't appreciate the small evidences of grace in your life, all around you, and you just take it for granted, you're becoming someone. You're becoming the kind of person marked by entitlement or discontentment, a lack of gratitude or joy or both. Two paths, see? Two paths. Every day, every day, life is a matter of choices and every choice you make makes you. This is what Proverbs is about. Proverbs wants you to take the right path to become the, the right kind of person, to turn out okay, to, to make wise decisions. It doesn't happen overnight. But rather, the daily decisions you make stack up. It trumps down a path. Look at the way Solomon contrasts the two paths then in, in verse uh, 18 and 19. It says, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So the way of wisdom, the path of uprightness from verse 11 is here called the path of righteousness or righteous, the path of the righteous. And it's like the light of dawn. So you're on a path. Picture yourself on a path. Hikers, right? And it's dawn. It's dawn. And you're setting out on a hike early in the morning. It's barely light out, but it's getting lighter. Every step you take is becoming clearer and clearer. Do you see it? This is the path of wisdom. The more you tromps it, the clearer it gets. 
Stay on this path, Solomon says. Stay on this path. The alternative, verse 19. It's like you're on a path and it's, it's more like dusk than dawn, right? It's, you, it, you're setting out on a hike late in the evening. It's barely light out and it's getting darker. Every step you take becomes less and less clear. This is the path of the wicked. This is the path of the fool. And the more you tromps it, the, the less clear it gets. To the point, do you see it here in the text, where you stumble and you don't even know why. Hmm. Difficult things are coming into your life and, and you don't see the connection. You know, it's like you, you get fired, but you don't connect it with the fact that you're lazy. Or... Um, your marriage is a disaster, but you don't connect it to your secret pornography problem. Or you don't have any friends, but you don't connect it to the fact that you're extremely self-centered. Or your, your finances are a disaster, but you don't connect it with the fact that you, you don't manage your money very well. Two paths, see? And the point of Proverbs 4 is to listen to your father. Listen to your grandfather. Stay on the right path. They're wise. They want you to be. They, they, they want to set you up for some success in life. And even if you have a hard time applying the parental and grandparental aspects of this to your life, listen to Grandpa David here. Listen to Father Solomon. Listen to Father God. Speaking to you through his living and active word, hear my son and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I've taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. If you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of this instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Verse 18, the path of righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Stay on the right path. Stay on the right path. Now, here's the thing. Uh, anyone who's tried to stay on the right path long enough <laughs> knows some things, right? The, the, the steps that we make, um, the paths we take, it depends not only on what we've inherited from our parents and grandparents, not only on what we know to, to be the right way, but also what we want, where we want to go. Which leads us into the last section, which focuses on the heart. Look, look at verse 20 here. It says, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. When all your way, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. The, the, the centerpiece of this section, uh, structurally, is verse 23. Right? Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Or NIV translation, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. <laughs> above all else, Guard your heart. Keep it. Keep it with all. Watch over it. Watch over it diligently. And notice the, the other body language flowing into verse 23. Incline your ear to my sayings. Your, your ear. 
Let them not escape your sight, your eyes. Why does he say it like that? Well, because our ears and our eyes are portals into our heart, aren't they? What messages we hear, what we look at and see, funnels into our hearts. Our ears and our eyes are gateways to our heart. That's why we must guard our hearts. By being careful with respect to what we hear and what we see. But then also notice the body language flowing out of verse 23 and then the verses that follow. Put away crooked speech and devious talk, verse 24. Let your eyes look directly forward. Ponder the path of your feet. Don't swerve. Why does he say it like that? Well, because our mouths and our eyes and our feet are all controlled by our heart too, aren't they? That's why he says in verse 23, from the heart flow the springs of life. Or again, the NIV, everything you do flows from it. Everything you do. See, the word heart uh, is the most important anthropological term in the book of Proverbs. It shows up 46 times in this book. And the way the Bible talks about the heart is not the way that we normally talk about the heart. Uh, We tend to think of the heart as like the place of our emotions, seat of our emotions. We, We feel with our hearts where feelings are. And so we have our head, that's how we think rationally. Right? Our rational thoughts happen here, and then the heart, that's where our emotions are. Um, but the Bible's depiction of the heart is far more complex and far more comprehensive than that. The heart, in, in biblical anthropology, controls the body. It controls our facial expressions. It, it controls our mouths. All of our other members, like chapter 4 here tells us, but the heart also thinks. You think with your heart in the scriptures. The, the, the heart reflects It plans, it devises, it understands. The the heart trusts, the heart discerns, it prompts action, it can envy or set direction. It's the innermost place where decisions are made. Uh, I remember listening 15 years ago to some lectures on preaching by Tim Keller. It was on preaching to the heart. This is where I was first kind of introduced to this concept. And, and I came across uh, this lovely summary of this in the, devo- in the devotional that he's written on Proverbs, where he describes the heart this way, sums it up this way. He says, the heart is the seat of our deepest trusts, our deepest trusts, our, our commitments and our loves, from which everything flows. What the heart most loves and trusts, the mind finds reasonable, the emotions find desirable, and the will finds doable. That's a good way to summarize how the Old Testament talks about the heart. Do do you see it? Everything flows from it. Your mind, your emotions, your will, it's all driven by the heart. It's the seed of your deepest trust, your deepest loves, your deepest wants, which means what's going on in your heart shapes the paths you take. It determines ultimately where you end up. It impacts whether you turn out okay or not, no matter how you define okay. Now listen, we know some other stuff about the heart from the scriptures too, don't we? Uh, we don't even have to leave the book of Proverbs. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, folly is bound up in the heart of a child there, it says. Proverbs 20, verse 9 says, who can say I've made my heart pure? I'm, I'm clean from my sin. Or Proverbs 28, 26, in one translation reads, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. 
This understanding of the heart led the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah to conclude that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? <laughs> this is precisely why the, 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 so, the, the such popular modern day advice of follow your heart is complete foolishness. It's complete foolishness. Folly is bound up there. Your heart can, it will, it'll deceive you. Which is precisely why when we turn to the New Testament, we find a real big emphasis on being given a new heart, don't we? You know, Jesus talked about the heart a lot. Um, he, he said a lot of the same things that Proverbs 4 say. That, that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's basically Proverbs 4. That, that out of the heart comes evil thoughts and sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness, Jesus says. But he also taught in John chapter 7 that if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. That, that whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. <laughs> Life-giving water. Life-giving, Holy Spirit-empowered good in your own life and overflowing into the lives of others. Don't you see, to put it back in the context of Proverbs 4, if you want to take the right path and stay on the right path, if you want to turn out okay and be wise and impart wisdom to your kids and your grandkids too, it all begins with the heart. It's the command center of your life. Only a right heart will keep you on the right path where things turn out okay. Which all begs the question then, and I want you to honestly ask yourself it this morning, what is the main love of my heart? What's the main love? Whatever the main love of your heart is, it's controlling you. Listen, if it's money, you'll make decisions based on that. It'll shape the steps you take and the path that you make. If you choose, you'll choose a high-paying job working way too many hours, sacrifice your health and your family and your kids and your church. Why? Because your heart love of money is controlling you. Everything about your money and that job, your mind finds reasonable, your emotions find desirable, and your will finds doable. It's controlling you. If it's romance, it's sex, It'll drive you. It'll make, you'll make decisions based on that. It'll shape your life. You'll rush into marriage. You'll have sex before marriage. Or you'll develop secret sinful habits that you don't tell anyone about. And that path will go darker and darker and darker like Proverbs 4 verse 19 teaches us. Until you're stumbling and you don't even know why. Your relationship's a disaster and you don't even know why. What's the main love of your heart? Listen, if it's approval, it's the same thing. You'll always be getting in the wrong relationships. You'll always put too much weight on friendship. You'll be absolutely crushed and devastated when it doesn't go well. Why? Because approval is the main level of your heart. It's the main love of your heart. If it's comfort, a life of ease, you know, not too stressful with plenty of vacations and time to do whatever I want kind of life, same thing. You'll make decisions based on that. It'll shape you. 
Look, it can, it can be control, it can be power, it can be acceptance, it can be your children, travel, experience. Really, your heart love can get stuck on just about anything. What's the main love of your heart? What's the main love? Proverbs wants to teach you that if it's anything besides God, you're a fool. It's foolish. All these other things, not only will they not deliver what you really want, ultimately they'll destroy you. They'll actually prevent you from getting what, to use last week's terminology, what you really, really want. (laughs) Now, listen, if I'm doing my job right now and the Holy Spirit's doing his, um, something inside you probably should have, at least somewhere in the last couple minutes, said, "Uh uh-oh, you know, Uh uh-oh. Even if you're a Christian, why? Because none of us perfectly guards our heart. None of us do. Other things are always finding sneaky ways to get in there. And so what we need is a change of heart, a new heart. We need to fix our heart on God or refix our heart on God. How? Good question. It's a good question. How do you change your heart? (laughs) Have you tried? Hmm. How do you change what you love most? Well, you can't, but God can. Through the gospel. Through the gospel. You know, it's interesting. I never noticed it until this week. Um, But the very first sermon preached in the book of Acts and the very last sermon preached in the book of Acts both reference the heart. I'd never noticed that before. Remember in Acts chapter 2 when Peter stands up at Pentecost he says, you all killed Jesus. He, he's preaching to them. He's like, hey, you, you know, guess what? You killed Jesus. Um, telling everyone about Jesus in this sermon he was and how he was crucified but raised up and now he's exalted at the right hand of God and how he's both Lord and Christ. That's the sermon Peter was preaching. And then in Acts 2, verse 37, we're told of their response. Do you remember this? It says, when they heard this, they gave it a good think. You know, they they changed their minds about Jesus because they thought it over. They concluded rationally, you know what, we should probably try to live like him. That's not what it says, is it? That's not what it says. In Acts 2, verse 37, after Peter preaches the gospel, it says when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they, they cry out, what shall we do? Cut to the heart. The gospel hit their heart, see? And then at the end of Acts, the very last sermon recorded in the book of Acts by Paul in Rome, in Acts 28, we're told great numbers came to hear Paul, and from morning to evening, he didn't didn't stop. He tried to convince them about Jesus. Some believed, others didn't, and then Paul says this, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to you, saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they've closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I'll heal them. (laughs) It's all about the heart, see? It's all about the heart. The gospel is aimed at the heart. When we hear the gospel, we're, we're to be cut to the heart. Understand with the heart, the gospel affects our heart. It gets in. It gets in and it transforms us then from the inside out. How does it get in? It gets in by making Jesus lovely to us. That's how. By making Jesus lovely to us. 
Thomas Chalmers um, was an old Scottish pastor. He, he famously referred to this 200 years ago in a sermon uh, as the expulsive, not explosive like fireworks, but expulsive power of a new affection. And he taught that the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection, an old love, is by the expulsive power of a new one. And so we hear with our ears the gospel good news. And it's sweet to our heart. We, with eyes of faith, we see Jesus. And our hearts are awakened to a new love. A better love. Remember how we said the, the ears and the eyes are the gateways to the heart, right? So we hear the gospel. We hear that God the Father sent Jesus the Son for us because he loved us to come for us, to take on flesh. He, he lived the perfect life. We read of that and we, we actually see with eyes of faith, we see Jesus walking on this earth, living the perfect life for us. Trump's in the right path, even when it was difficult. We see him all the way to the cross. It cost him his life. And we understand that all that he did for us, we, we understand it in our heart. We understand it, that he loves us. That's why he did all this. That's why he came for us. The gospel is true because he loves us. And we see that his death and his resurrection are for us and that we can be fully forgiven by all, fully forgiven of all of our heart waywardness. We hear this. We see it with our eyes of faith. We understand that it doesn't come by our effort, but only by grace that we're forgiven, reconciled, restored, redeemed. And when we hear this gospel, Jesus becomes, when we see him, Jesus becomes lovely to us. More lovely than anything else. <laughs> when we see Jesus as more lovely than anything else, we're cut to the heart and we understand with our heart. We're given a new heart. And when we fail as Christians to perfectly guard our heart and, and kind of go through that all over again like today, the expulsive power of our affections for Jesus chases out the other loves of our heart and recenters us on him all over again. We believe in him. We believe in Jesus. We trust him. We refix our eyes upon him. And it's then, out of this heart love for Jesus that flows rivers of living water. Shaping everything you do, every decision you make. This heart of your leads, it leads you on the path of righteousness, trompsing it day after day after day, down the path of turning out okay. Which includes making wise decisions, but even way more importantly than that, it includes belonging to God. Forever and ever and ever. Which after all is what really ultimately it means to turn out okay. It's what every Christian parent really ultimately wants for their kids and their grandkids. Spend eternity with them. In heaven with Jesus. It's what I pastorally want for every single one of us in this room. And it all has to do with the heart. Let's take a quiet moment, just take a quiet moment right where you're at and, and prayerfully refix your heart love on Jesus this morning. Just take a few minutes, just take 30 seconds to do that. And I'll pray for us and we'll get to the table.
Lord, hear our prayers. Hear our prayers. Spirit of God, give us eyes to see Jesus now. Ears to hear him. Make him more lovely to us than anything else. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.